Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roundtable Sports Podcast. My name is Taylor McLean. Today, we're going to be looking over the Buffalo Bills 31-28 win over the Miami Dolphins. Let's talk about the winning team, the Buffalo Bills. You know, the Buffalo Bills are set up a little differently than I would have thought they would have wanted to be. And what I mean by that is initially when they had Josh Allen, when they came out last year, they really tried to establish the run. They were trying to hide Josh a little bit and not make it all on his shoulders. And this year they have done the exact opposite. While they did invest in the line, signing Mitch Morse and Daryl Williams, it hasn't been an exemplary unit yet. They'll need to do better. The Dolphins aren't a particularly strong defensive unit, and they still at times had trouble with their front seven. So we'll need to, I want to see more from this unit. I want to see them protect Josh. It's super important that they keep Josh upright. It's super important that they give the offense lane to run. And they've done so, so far. I mean, it wasn't like the running game was on fire. But at the same time, they've been serviceable. And we'll hope they can keep that going forward for Josh's sake. The Miami defense is definitely not a defense I'm targeting or will ever own this year. But they're not pushovers either. They, did, they made some signings. And they're not as bad as they were last year. You know, they drafted Christian Wilkins. They signed Van Noy. They signed a bunch of other people that, you know, Shaq Lawson, et cetera, to try and keep things going. The big thing they did was sign Byron Jones away from my Cowboys. The unfortunate thing is he got hurt in this game. He'll be something to monitor for the receivers in the next game because he does, between him and Xavier Howard, that is a big part of their defense, although Xavier Howard hasn't really played yet either. I think from an offensive line and a defense standpoint, these units are what I thought they were. They're a little bit improved, but they're still a liability for both these teams. And it's not that Buffalo doesn't want to lean on the offensive line. It's just that's something they may not be able to do. But you know what? They may not have to because they drafted Josh out. And Josh seems to have taken a step up the week after throwing for a career high over 300 yards. He's back at it again. He's got 417 yards for four touchdowns. Some of that came late, but they needed it. So it wasn't necessarily garbage time. Had he not made the late touchdown, you know, they'd have lost this game. It really was on his shoulders. And what was beautiful about this for Josh is he showed his versatility. He didn't have to have his rushing yards to get this done. He only carried the ball four times for 18 yards with no touchdowns. That is incredible for him. He was only sacked once. I would speculate, I haven't ever looked at his ratings just back-to-back, but I got to think this was the highest he was ever rated. 24 for 35 for Josh is like another person throwing 33 for 35 because they don't have the the arm that Josh does. The only person that probably does is Patrick Mahomes. And even then, I'd like to see Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen just really air it out on the field and see what happens. Certainly Patrick is about 10 times more accurate, and that's really what makes the difference. But still, Josh Allen has taken steps up in his game. And you know what? Having a good receiver like Stephon Diggs, imagine this. Having somebody that gets separation and catches the ball with a wide catch radius is good for Josh Allen. Whoever thought. And and you know what? That was the big deficiency for them is a real lack of true number one receiver last year. 
John Brown is a great number two receiver. Having all the eyes on Stefan who can still do his thing, then having John Brown on the on the other side is huge for them. It's huge for Josh. And he's showing so far this season that he's on board and that he's excited to show everybody that he might have should have been the first quarterback. I mean, of the quarterbacks drafted at the top, he looks the best so far. I mean, Baker had that great first year, had a crappy second year. So third year, let's see how it goes. I certainly like him more than Sam Darnold. He's got a laser rocket arm. If he can figure out what to do with all the energy he can create, he should be a really tangible fantasy asset as well as good regular quarterback. So I'm excited for Josh. Clearly I have the fever and certainly this game did nothing to dispel that. Now they played two what should be subpar opponents. They get to play them again. And not every week's going to be like that, but certainly Josh has shown me everything he possibly can these first two weeks, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do going forward. On a side note for Josh and the rest of the Buffalo Bills this week, you know, they've got the Rams. That should be a step up in competition for them. You know, the Rams aren't perfect by any means, but at the same time, they definitely have a better defense. They have better big-name pieces than a lot of the teams they've played so far. So I find it to be a gut check for both Buffalo and Los Angeles in a number of different ways. So how does Josh deal with Jalen Ramsey definitely being on Stephon Diggs? How does he deal with Aaron Donald in his face? Those will be things to look at and really gut check yourself for Josh for the rest of the season. I'm definitely not sitting him. If he's your quarterback one, you're happy as hell. If he's your quarterback two and you, because you got somebody early in a, quarter, in a two-quarterback league, you are looking really good because whoever you drafted might be your second quarterback at this point. I find no reason to believe that Josh is going to do anything to derail this. Certainly, he's played at his peak so far. Absolutely. But if this is the peak, sign me up every week. Absolutely. He's got a lower floor than some guys, but I think he's made some strides this year. They've got a good coaching staff. There's nothing to say that you should really discount his development. Until he gives us a reason to discount it, until he gives me a reason to get off of Josh Fever, we're all over it. We might not be starting him in DFS next week versus the Rams, but if the price is right, you never know. So clearly I can wax poetic about Josh all day, but let's talk about the weapons because clearly Josh was on and it led to big-time performances by his pass-catching options. Now, in this instance, I'm not talking about the tight ends as much as I normally would. Dawson Knox is their only true big tight end option, and he is in the concussion protocol at this time. If he's your tight end three in best ball leagues, you're probably hoping he comes back sooner rather than later, but you're still not in all that much trouble probably wasn't rostered in season-long leagues anyway, so you're not really worried about, worried about that. Really, Josh is probably supporting two options at this point, one being a really good-looking wide receiver one in Stefan Diggs. You know, you probably got Stefan at the – you probably got Stefan probably at the end of the wide receiver ones, maybe the start of the wide receiver twos, or even the midway. There's no telling. There was a lot of variation on how strong – people felt about Diggs, So there's probably a big variation more than most wide receivers in that range because of people's disbelief that Josh could continue to grow. And I don't blame them. Certainly he didn't seem like he had a good feel for the game last year. He was a little out of sorts, but at the same time, if you saw the big plays, if you saw 
how much he wanted it and how willing he was to run the ball, you were definitely okay with Josh. He might not be the goal line back in the same way that Cam is, but he still has that potential. He's still going to go get his. It's just they did a good job of keeping him in the pocket today, and he made him pay anyway. So good for him. Love Josh. And uh, I think he's absolutely capable of supporting Stefan as a wide receiver one. Top 10, I guess that makes him a top 10 wide receiver. I probably need to write it down to be sure, but that's nitpicking. If you have him, you're excited, especially if he's your wide receiver three, which he potentially could be if you drafted wide receiver early. I mean, you're looking to use him as either a trade piece to upgrade somewhere or better still, if you believe like I believe, you trade your wide receiver that you already have and insert Stefan Diggs into the lineup or just use him in a more prominent role because I think he's going to be sustainable. He just looks so fluid out there and he meshes with Josh well enough where he's going to be able to get his. And when Josh is able to get loose and extend the play or whatever it is, Stefan's going to be able to take advantage of that. So Diggs definitely on the radar, definitely somebody I'm targeting mainly because is maybe they don't believe quite as much that this is sustainable in their heart of hearts, the Diggs owners. So you really test that with a good offer. Across from Diggs, John Brown has truly found his place. Having more eyes on Stephon Diggs takes John Brown out of a miscast wide receiver one role and gives him the wide receiver two role for this offense. And with Josh playing at a high level with his willingness to go down the field and his ability to reach places on the field that other quarterbacks can't, utilizing John Brown's speed in those instances is really going to pay off for the Buffalo Bills, and they know it. They used him in a sweet screen in week one. They were looking for him down the field in week two. And I think if you got him where you got him, you're excited because it's something you can plug into your flex. It's something you can use as a wide receiver streamer. He's going to have more up and down days than this. He's probably going to have some days where he gets bottled up a little bit, but the eyes are going to be on Stefan Diggs. He's not getting Ramsey next week when they play the Rams. Stefan is. That's a guarantee. There's no way they don't use Ramsey to guard Stefan Diggs. I just can't see that. I can't see it at all. I'm blind to it. So Stephon Diggs, we're excited about him. John Brown, we're excited about him. We're really not excited about anybody else in the passing game. And I'm not as excited about the way they've used the running game either. Seems to be the window dressing is the running backs. They're faking to them. They're using them sparingly. And the real problem is there's two of them. There's Devin Singletary and there's Zach Moss. They're using them a good deal both. Now, Devin Singletary is probably the lead back. He's probably going to get the most touches, but the issue is they start to use Zach Moss, especially when they get in the red zone. So they're kind of cannibalizing each other at this point. Devin Singletary is probably a desperation flex play. If you've had, if you've had to kind of get that in there, he's not going to kill you. He's going to get yards and they're going to use him, but his upside is capped at this time with Zach Moss still in the mix with them using Zach Moss more in the red zone. So I don't really think you're excited about either of them, but you're holding both of them because should one of the other one go down, they don't have a lot behind either of them. So one of them would step into a much larger role. It would probably be very flex relevant at that time. So that's what you want to kind of hold on to. You're, you're holding them as a really, really high end upper class lottery ticket that can be used on a given week because either one of them can score on a given week 
a lot of eyes are going to be on Josh. So the pendulum may swing, but they're able to run the ball better when they're looking at Josh. So we'll look for that going forward. But still, it's not something I'm excited about starting right now. So we talked about the Buffalo side. Let's move to Miami. Miami was a dumpster fire last week, despite showing some promise in some certain areas. You know, they, their line was poor. They, Fitzpatrick was off. They weren't getting a lot of good things from wide receivers. It was just an overall not good game. And uh, like I had spoken to, you know, New England was able to run all over them. That lowered the amount of plays. And today, you know, with Buffalo attacking them the way they did, they were able to get off a lot more plays. And it showed, and with Fitzpatrick being more accurate and the offense looking better overall because of that, it was a better day for everybody in Miami. Although it still seems like some roles need to be sussed out for them really to consolidate the values we'd want in a starting caliber player. I still think there's potential for a lot of these players. So we need to look at them. We need to be aware of them and we need to be ready to move should something happen to their contemporaries and their peers on their team, or should something change with the rest of the team? Austin Jackson still didn't get it this week. They were, they got pressure from that side and it showed, I want to see better play from the offensive line protecting them, but still it wasn't like Buffalo was able to sack Fitzpatrick a lot, but they were able to make him uncomfortable. A lot of Fitzpatrick's numbers are going to come from garbage time, and today was no different. Got him a garbage time TD with Gasecki, who we definitely are going to get into in a moment. But let's finish Fitzpatrick. He was a lot. He just looked a lot better today. There was no doubt about it. He was off against the Patriots. Maybe he was a little rusty. So we'll chalk it up to that. I will say this about Fitzpatrick, and it was very startling when I saw it. The amount of size that Tua Tungavailoa gives up to Ryan Fitzpatrick is startling. When you see them both on the field together, Ryan looks like the big brother in the situation, no doubt. Now, it's not that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a small guy either. He runs about 6'2", 228, but it was absolutely startling how small Tua looked in comparison to him. And I think they need to probably give him some time to get acclimated before they stick him out there. So I think Fitzpatrick definitely gave them another week at the very least before people are calling for Tua with the increased accuracy today, with the touchdowns, and with his ability to mesh better with his receivers. I don't think you're excited if you're starting Ryan Fitzpatrick on a given week. But then again, if you drafted him as the third quarterback in your best ball, so far so good. Think If you're thinking you might use him as a streamer during bye weeks, I think I'd be okay with that too, giving the right matchup. It's just going to be a question of how long he holds on to the role. And like I said, when I saw them together, I think it's probably in their best interest to kind of let that develop a little bit. I may end up eating those words if Tua gets in there and starts slinging the ball around like he's Drew Brees, but still it's smart to not put Tua in a position to get crunched like he is now. I mean, especially with Austin Jackson being such a turnstile, it's just a question of his health and your future. If you're really trying to risk all that capital on, you know, one hit that could end it, I don't know if that's the case, but I certainly wouldn't risk it on this season. And and especially not this early. You know, it takes a long time for lines to gel, and this line may take longer than most just because there's 
still building it. You know, they traded away their left tackle for a couple of first round picks. And while that seems like a good trade from a draft capital standpoint, it's not a good trade from a developing your quarterback standpoint. So got to question that part of it, but they did get a King's ransom for Tunsil. So good for them on that end. We'll see what they do with the picks. So we're worried about Fitzpatrick if we're starting him as a quarterback two, kind of week to week. I still think that means he's capable of, of keeping up with a couple of options, you know, and even if Tua does take over, I think those options would still be viable. The big thing in the main event for the passing game was Mike Gesicki, eight receptions, 130 yards and a touchdown. Now three of those receptions and a good chunk of the yards, as well as the touchdown came in garbage time. Buffalo scored a touchdown at the very end and had this game in hand. But at the same time, they did bring it to a three-point game and they put pressure on Buffalo. Good on them. They did not give up. And you know what? It doesn't say, you know, those points that he scored in that time were worth less because they were in garbage time. They counted all the same. Like I said last week about Gasicki, he looks fluid out there. He looks like a huge wide receiver. It's not that he's bulky huge, but he's just really tall He's really fluid, and they're targeting him a lot. He didn't even catch all of his targets. He had a, he had three more in addition to his eight receptions, and those weren't necessarily like drops or anything. It was just they, they tried to force it. One of those was a red zone target, so they could have even been bigger than it was. If somebody sold on him in, your, in the first week, definitely jump all over that. Immediately, first waiver ad, whatever it is, get it done because he's going to be a big part of the offense, especially as long as Fitzpatrick's in there. You know, if Tua gets in there and totally blows it, I mean, they might even put Fitzpatrick in and just say it's a red shirt. So while it's not one of the most established situations, I liked what I saw. And if you got him as late as you got him, I think you're really excited about the way Gasecki looked. Like I said, I hope you don't end up regret dropping him if you did. Surely you had more patience than that in week one. But he looks good out there. He looks so smooth and, you know, big guys like him don't typically move like that. Plus, the beautiful thing about him is they don't even line him up at tight end all that much. He's basically their slot receiver. Anytime you can really get that going as a tight end where you're not even worried about them blocking, he's just the receiving threat, that's even bigger. Think Antonio Gates. You know, Gates wasn't a big blocker either. He was a red zone threat. He was a threat to get chunk plays. And so was Mike Gesicki. So we're definitely looking at him. You know, if you're downgrading to him as a tight end, certainly there's probably more stable situations. But at the same time, I'm not afraid of him at all. And especially if he's in the second tight end in your best ball or you have a tight end premium league that you're looking at with that and he's your second tight end, definitely get excited about that. As far as the other pass catching options, I think there's only one to really get excited about, and it's Devontae Parker. Now, we'll need to look and see where he's at injury-wise. He's had a balky hamstring, and it took him out of the first game, and I'm not sure that he actually finished this one either. You know, uh, he had the early touchdown that you can only see via some fans' video because they had the messed up video feed and they had the power go out at one point. I think that, speaking of power outages, you know, Preston Wilson with the only with the one catch – he hasn't looked all that great coming off the ACL. I don't know if that'd be a deep hold for me if I was in a, a shallower league. He's probably a hold if you're in a deeper bench league. 
because, I mean, there's probably not much in those leagues at this point. But at the same time, I mean, with Fitzpatrick playing better, with the offense playing better, and with the defense not being an absolute dumpster fire, just kind of an average one, I think there's definitely something to holding on Devontae Parker and Preston Williams in deeper formats. I don't think I'd be looking at anyone else despite Isaiah Ford's day. I mean, he didn't look terrible, but at the same stroke, I don't know if that's something I would believe in. I'll need to see more. I'll need to see more snaps before I'm actually in on that. Let's talk about the Miami backfield. It played out about how I expected. I expected it to be very fractured, and it was. 22 carries for 99 yards, not the worst mark, and the touchdown. The thing is, because it was so evenly spread, it kind of took the air out of all the different options and really made it hard to kind of see what was going to happen going forward unless you really truly watched what happened. If you watch the film, you can obviously tell that Miles Gaskin is the most explosive thing they have at running back. And that, and that includes Matt Breida. The only thing is it seems like they worry about Gaskin's durability. And he is a little smaller than some of the backs, so maybe that's rightfully so. But I just wish they would give him more on his plate. I think they realize they're going to need him for the duration, so they're using the other options early on. He only had the seven carries out of the 22, but he did the most with it with the 48 yards. It's unfortunate that they have Jordan Howard because Jordan Howard comes in when it's the goal line situations, five carries for four yards. I get that he's big, but good Lord. Has anybody killed more fantasy value than Jordan Howard just sniping touchdowns? I wish they'd get him out of there and give it to Gaskin. I feel like they'd get more out of it because by the time Jordan Howard hits the hole, Gaskin would have hit it two seconds ago. He's that much faster and more explosive. Hashtag free Gaskin. He's the guy to own in this backfield, and they know it. They're just trying to keep him for the rest of the season. That's why they give Breida the touches. That's why they're giving Jordan Howard the goal line touches because that's where you get beat up the most. And while that's unfortunate for the fantasy value, I think if I was trying to take a bet on the backfield, it would definitely be Gaskins. It would not. It would be Gaskins, then Breida, then Jordan Howard, the former hoping that the latter goes away and that that allows the touchdowns to get spread out to the other two. It's still a situation that you're going to want to avoid from a starting standpoint. But at the same time, like I said, I think I'm betting on Gaskins to be the guy. Miami has Jacksonville on an early week. Jacksonville hasn't been a destroyer of worlds on defense. But still, I don't think you're starting Gaskins, not, with, not without bye weeks or some significant injuries. But he is the guy to own, in my opinion. Just got to hope for some attrition from the other backs. Jordan Howard's done it before. Think Miles Sanders last year. He held Miles Sanders down, took the goal line touches, had one big game. And then once he finally went out, they slowly ramped up Miles Sanders' role until he was ripping off running back one values, just like he did this week. I'm proud of Miami. They have done a good job to pull themselves from really, really bad to somewhat average. Somewhat average might be generous, but they have pieces now. They seem like they were, didn't have any pieces last year, and now it seems like they actually have something. 
So maybe it's my expectations are low, but I'm excited to see what Miami brings to us next. And of course I have Josh fever and we'll, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the gut check game versus Los Angeles at home. Still starting Josh in that game. I'm guessing I don't have anything other options anyway, because I'm all in on Josh, but I don't think that would matter either way. He's a starting quarterback one going forward. So remember that take the information I, I gave you today, use it in a timely manner and go out there and win your league people. I think you can do it with this.